Give truth to Yaakov. Many people have difficulty relating to our father Yaakov. The story is told in the Bible of the deception of a blind father, Yaakov wearing his older brother's clothes. It seems to be an act that's not in keeping with the Abrahamic tradition, to put it mildly. How can you steal a blessing anyhow? The very idea seems to be wrong. Yet Yaakov, our father, is described as the Bechir, the chosen one of the three fathers. The last verse of the book of Micha pleads, Give us the loving kindness of Abraham. Give us the truth of Yaakov. What was this truth of Yaakov? What did Yaakov see? How are his actions, actions that were in line with truth? To answer these questions, we need, first of all, to look at the very beginning of the biblical narrative. The Torah tells us that Rivka was barren, so Yitzhak prayed for her to have children. God heard his prayer, and Rivka, his wife, conceived. But the pregnancy did not go smoothly. The scripture says in Genesis chapter 25, And the children struggled within her. And she said, If so, why am I like this? And she went to inquire of the Lord. The Midrash describes what she noticed using this imagery. Whenever Rivka would pass someone practicing Torah and mitzvot, then Yaakov would start to kick. But when she went by some place of idol worship, then Esau would start to kick. Rivka, noticing this strange phenomenon, went to ask God what this was all about. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two kingdoms will separate from within you. And one kingdom will become mightier than the other kingdom, and the elder will serve the younger. If we look at this Midrash, it seems to be telling us that the basic natures of Yaakov and Esau were set before they were born. One was yearning for Torah and holiness, and the other one was drawn towards evil. The Lubavitcher Rebbe asks a question on this. How could it be that Yitzhak and Rivka, a holy father and mother, could have given birth to a child, or could have really begotten a child, who has already got an, a nature of evil while still in the womb? Esau is not yet born. And the Rebbe answers, by saying he was not evil at that point. Esau's vessels were not evil in themselves, but they were vessels that did have the potential for evil or, with the work of transformation, the potential for great good. Rabbi Ashlag, commentating on the Zohar, teaches us that the nature of Esau's vessels, that is, his desires, are the desires of receiving. He decided to receive all that God gives in this world and in the next. These vessels are indeed the larger ones, but they need work before they can come into affinity of form with God. Whereas Yaakov had vessels of giving, 
He was altruistic in nature. He was attracted to the joy of giving. These are lesser vessels, but they have the advantage of being in infinitive form with the Holy Blessed One. Thus, Yaakov and Aesop actually represent two approaches to the service of God. One approach is that of Yaakov, who works only on the aspect of the good, of the holiness, endeavouring that all his days are filled with unconditional giving. Whereas Esau's nature had the power of taking these great desires that he had of receiving God's light and transforming them into the ultimate channel for infinite goodness, which is the modality of receiving for the sake of giving. If Yaakov and Esau were to combine forces, they would form a marvellously complete whole. The scriptural story continues. And the youths grew up. And Esau was a man who understood hunting, a man of the field. Whereas Yaakov was an innocent man, dwelling in tents. And Yitzhak loved Esau because his game was in his mouth. But Rivka loved Yaakov. The Zohar teaches us that the meaning of this scripture is, is that the lads stayed true to their nature as they grew. Yaakov remained in the tent of Torah, whereas Esau became a hunter, a man of the field. But Esau did not fulfill the potential of transformation, but he used his nature in a negative way. The Zohar teaches that his hunting consisted of hunting out people's opinions and then encouraging them to rebel against God. He robbed people and killed them, all the time pretending to his father Yitzhak that he'd gone to the field to pray, just as Yitzhak himself had done when he had established the afternoon prayer. Now, it is true that the Zohar talks in language that is usually symbolic rather than literal. So if we were to look at the inner meaning of what the Zohar is telling us, we can see that Esau not only made no effort to be a vehicle for the blessings of God in the way that Avram and Yitzhak had done, but he actively rebelled against their teachings, leading others away from God also. And yet the scripture teaches us that Yitzhak loved Esau. How could he have loved him? Didn't he see his evil ways? Yitzhak loved Esau because they both shared the same root. For both of them, their basic nature is that of the left-hand line, which means that they have the vessels of receiving all the good that God wants to give us in the purpose of creation. That is their desire. But they differ in the way they use this desire. Yitzchak rectified his will to receive, so it should only be for the sake of giving to God or to man. This was at the Akedah, and indeed he gave that potential also to Esau. But Esau rebelled and misled his father. And yet the Zohar further asks, but didn't Yitzchak see his son's evil ways? The Zohar teaches us that Yitzchak's love for Esau was blind. He did not in fact know that Esau was acting evilly. 
How is this possible? Yitzhak was a man who had the divine presence. He was holy. He had the Shekhinah with him. The Zohar teaches, however, that God purposefully withheld this information of Esau's evil from Yitzhak because God had a higher purpose in so doing. If Yitzhak had known of Esau's evil deeds, he would never have blessed him with these blessings. He would never have blessed him with these blessings that promise the fulfillment of the purpose of creation. If he had known of Esau's evil, he would have given the blessing only to Yaakov, according to Yaakov's vessels only. But as we've seen, Yaakov did not have the vessels for the light of Chokhmah, the light that God wants to give us from the purpose of creation. So just giving Yaakov blessings that would have been appropriate to him only would not have fulfilled God's will. For these blessings actually concern the fulfillment of the promise of creation, and so it was necessary that the bearer of the blessing should be complete. Yaakov had been given the vessels of the right-hand line. These are vessels of giving which are naturally in affinity of form with the Creator. To be complete, he needed also the vessels of Esau to join with his, so that the full blessing of the light of Chokhmah could be received. One could speculate that if Esau had transformed his vessels of giving, then Yaakov and Esau would have formed the perfect team. But he showed again and again that not only he did not want to do the work, but that he was using his gifts against the intention of God. This we learn from the inner meaning of the whole episode of the selling of the birthright. The scripture says like this, Now Yaakov cooked a stew, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Yaakov, Pour me out some of this red stew, for I am faint. He was therefore named Edom, which means red. And Yaakov said, Sell me out of this day your birthright. Esau replied, Behold, I am going to die, so why do I need this birthright? And Yaakov said, Swear to me, as of this day. So he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Yaakov. So Yaakov gave Esau bread and a pottage of lentils, and Esau ate and drank and arose and left, and he despised the birthright. Zohar tells us, one time Rabbi Shimon Bar was sitting with the companions. His son Rabbi Elazar came before him saying, we would like to ask you an important question concerning Yaakov and Esau. Why was it that Yaakov did not want to give Esau the lentil soup until Esau had sold him the birthright? And indeed, subsequently, Esau said to his father Yitzhak, He has deceived me twice. How is it possible that Yaakov would deceive Esau? After all, he was a tzaddik who dwelt in the tent of Torah and such deception is not fitting to a tzaddik. Rabbi Shimon answered them saying, You all deserve the punishment of lashes, for you have believed the words of Esau and attributed falsehood to the words of Jacob. The scripture testifies that Yaakov was Ishtam, a pure 
man, an innocent man, a truthful man, a man who does not know how to deceive. As it is written in Micha 7, give us the truth of Yaakov. The real situation with Yaakov and Esau was that Esau hated the birthright and he begged Yaakov to take it from him, even without money. And that is indeed what the scripture says. He ate and he drank and he arose and he went and Esau despised the birthright. We need to ask the question, what did the birthright consist of and why did Esau despise it? As you know, the birthright is the portion of the firstborn in property or other inheritance that the parents give over to him, the firstborn receiving more according to his rank. But in this case, remember we're talking about a spiritual inheritance, not a physical one. I'm personally quite sure that if we'd been talking about sheep and camels, Esau would have had no difficulty. But the inheritance we're talking about here is the inheritance of Avraham, which is the privilege of being allowed to serve God. The Zohar teaches us that Esau couldn't stand it. He hated the birthright. He saw it as the cause of his suffering, of his death, not as the source of his life. Why was this? Why couldn't he stand it? Rabbi Ashlag in the Perusha Sulam clarifies, Esau had the vessels of receiving, but they were not transformed to be receiving only for the sake of giving. Such vessels are fitted for the light of Chochmah, the light of God's manifestation, and actually need this light. But in practice, they can only receive this light if they're first clothed in the light of compassion, the light of giving. Now, because Esau was using these vessels in a wrong way, he was using them for himself alone, the light of Chochmah would not shine for him. But these vessels still demanded fulfilment. Without the garment of giving, the use of these vessels becomes for our wills to receive for ourselves alone and thus bring about suffering and harsh judgments. And this is why the scripture teaches us that when Esau came in from the field, he was faint. He said, I'm going to die. What good is the birthright to me? He saw the birthright as the cause of his own death. He felt he was going to die because of the birthright. Because the manifestation of God's light to one such as him, who has the huge vessels of receiving, but he's not clothing them in the light of giving, in the light of Hasadim, feels like death. So he begged Yaakov to take the birthright from him. But Yaakov only eventually agreed to take it if there was a transaction. He would not just accept it. And now we come to the story of the blessings. This is an amazing episode in which the future of not only the Jewish people, but of all mankind is decided. Rabbi Ashlag writes, you should know that the inner meaning of the blessings is the governance that will be in place that will bring us to the Gemarati Kun, the full rectification. This is the inner meaning of the rectification of the Malkut to fulfill the purpose of creation. Will it go according to the way of Yaakov, which is the way of holiness? Or will it go according to the way of Esau, the way of the domination of evil? Which way will be enshrined as the way? The blessings themselves contain the power to give dominance to one way over the other. 
And may the Lord give you of the dew of the heavens and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and wine. Nations shall serve you and kingdoms shall bow down to you. You shall be a master over your brothers and your mother's sons shall bow down to you. Those who curse you shall be cursed and those who bless you shall be blessed. As we've seen before, the Divine Presence had not told Yitzhak of Esau's evil deeds. And knowing that he had the right vessels for this blessing, in the sense that he had the capacity for them, and believing him that he was using them for good, as he himself had done, Yitzhak called to Esau to go and hunt something for him so he could bless him. Now, to understand the inner meaning of this hunting, we need to know the significance of the garments of Esau. Zohar teaches us that these garments of Esau's that Rivka told Yaakov to wear were the clothes that Esau had taken from Nimrod when he murdered him. These were, in fact, the original clothes of Adam from the Garden of Eden. The Midrash states that Nimrod hunted with them because when he wore them, all the animals and birds would gather around and fall down before him. Rabbi Ashrak teaches that the animals and birds that he hunted is actually a metaphor for the greatest spiritual vessels of the light of God. What does all this mean? It means that both Esau and Nimrod were trying to get the highest of all possible spiritual lights in a way that is completely illegitimate. Esau fought Nimrod and killed him and took these garments for himself. When Esau came from the field exhausted, it was because he had murdered Nimrod to get these garments. Esau hid these garments with Vivka and he wore them usually when he went out to hunt. But on the day that Yitzhak sent him to hunt, before getting the blessings, he did not take them because, as the Zohar tells us, he knew they would be useless for getting these blessings from Yitzhak because he was using them for evil, whereas Yitzhak's blessings were only good. Although Yitzhak did not know of Esau's evil deeds, Rivka did. And she remembered the prophecy that God had told her when all that time ago when she was pregnant with the two boys. She understood their natures and knew it was time to act and that Yaakov needed to put on the garments of Esau in order to complete his vessels. When Yaakov put on these garments, he's borrowing the vessels of Esau. For the word garment in the Kabbalah is a synonym for the word vessel. When Yaakov put on these robes, suddenly they gave out the fragrance of the Garden of Eden. For the inner beauty of Yaakov was the same as that of Adam HaRishon, the first man. And thus they gave off the smell of the Garden of Eden. When Yaakov put on the garments, the angel Michael stayed with him. And now, when Yaakov went into Yitzhak, both the angel Michael and the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, came into Yitzhak with him. It was their presence and the smell of the Garden of Eden that told Yitzhak that the one standing before him was the one that was fit for the blessing. It was the right time and the right person. Yitzhak knew the one standing before him had the requisite vessels for the blessing, and this is the inner meaning of the voice is the voice of Yaakov, 
and the hands are the hands of Esau. This means that the light is the light of Yaakov, but the vessels are the vessels of Esau. All is complete, all the vessels are present, but transformed with the light of Yaakov. As the scripture says, And his father Yitzhak said to him, Please come closer and kiss me, my son. And he came closer and he kissed him. And he smelled the fragrance of his garments and he blessed him. And he said, Behold, the fragrance of my son is like the fragrance of a field which the Lord has blessed. And may the Lord give you of the dew of the heavens and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and wine. These words of the blessing promise the fulfillment of creation. Nations shall serve you and kingdoms shall bow down to you. You shall be a master over your brothers and your mother's sons shall bow down to you. Those who curse you shall be cursed and those who bless you shall be blessed. And with these words is set the path of creation. Yaakov received the blessings and secured the promise of and the oath that God has sworn to Avraham and to Yitzhak that the tikkun of creation would go according to the way of chesed, the way of Avraham, the way of holiness, the way of transformation, the way of the awe of Yitzhak and the truth of Yaakov. The end of the story is also important. Esau came in from his hunt and when he came into Yitzhak, Yitzhak shuddered a great shudder. The Zohar says that the shudder of Yitzhak when Esau came in was much greater than any shudder Yitzhak gave when he was on the altar waiting to be offered as a sacrifice. He shuddered for the Shekhinah now showed him the true nature of Esau and he perceived the hell of Esau. And Yitzhak reiterated that indeed his blessing would hold and Yaakov would indeed be blessed. This archetypal story is a story for each one of us. Rabbi Ashak teaches that the vessels of Yaakov and Esau live on within each one of us. Each one of us has the yearning for holiness of Yaakov and each one of us has the desires to receive of Esau. It is in the transformation of the vessels of Esau into the holiness of Yaakov that each one of us can receive the blessing. audio recording is brought to you from Nahora School, established by Yadida Cohen for the study of the Kabbalah as taught by Rabbi Yehudalev Ashlag. Studies with Yadida Cohen are available through the Nahora School online. Details at www.nahoraschool.com or www.nahorapress.com.